The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Brian D. Estelle. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege that is ours uh, to engage you in your word. Uh, We ask that you would, once again, uh, we plead with you that you would grant that posture without which no one can understand truth, especially from your word, namely that we might have reverence and humility before it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So we've been marching through the servant songs, um, these great and glorious uh, poems from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, This uh, prophet was an extremely good poet. We're into some of the heights of the heights of the most excellent poetry in the Hebrew Bible. And so it's a joy to turn uh, here and to have our morning devotions on Thursdays concentrating on these I'm not going to read the whole chapter for time's sake. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then uh, we'll uh, proceed from there. So this is Isaiah 42. I'll be reading the ESV. If you want to just listen, that's fine. If you want to follow along, that's fine as well. This is God's word. Give careful attention to it. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice. And the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open up the eyes that are blind to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Uh, The title of this morning's message, at least whatever went out on Twitter or um, on the internet was the servant of the Lord will bring forth justice or the subtitle that didn't go out is is the servant a social warrior the passage before us this morning which I was assigned raises these and following questions what was Isaiah's primary mission for the servant of the Lord well in order to answer that question we have to do a little biblical exegesis and a little canonical exegesis, understanding the passage both in the servant songs and then also in uh, the New Testament. 
which of course makes the interpretation of the passage normative for us if we can discern what the New Testament author's intent is, how we understand this passage. So first of all, understanding Isaiah 42 in its immediate context. In his 1965 lectures at Toronto Baptist Seminary, E.J. Young called these servant songs, of which there's four, the capstone of Old Testament prophecy. The Yavid Yahweh songs, the servant of the Lord songs, they're found in 42, chapter 42, verse 1 through 4, 49, 1 through 6, chapter 50, verse 4 through 9, and of course, climaxing in 52, 13 through 53, 12. Now, this is a famous problem in biblical theology, perhaps one of the most important uh, things to get your mind wrapped around in Old Testament biblical theology. Uh, These servant songs have been classified according to four major views. First of all, that the servant should be identified as an individual, uh, perhaps a prophet or a king. The collective view that some of these servant songs seem to be talking about a group of people or Israel itself. The so-called cultic or mythological view, uh, which came out of Scandinavia. And then the synthetic view, which is trying to bring these nuances refracted, as it were, through the jewel of these servant songs all together as one. We don't have time to get into the strengths and weaknesses of these uh, various proposals. Suffice it uh, for now to say, though, that this is very important and uh, becomes um, at least one major focus in prophets' class, uh, which you'll deal with later. But understanding Isaiah 42 in the context of Isaiah 40 through 66, I don't hold to a second and third Isaiah, so I'm treating them all together. I'm not a Christian, but a Jew, Shalom Paul, has blown up that idea. Uh, One thing that becomes immediately apparent when comparing the description here in 42 with the rest of the servant songs is how many parallels there are between this servant here and Cyrus, the king of Persia, of course, who sets the captives free to go back uh, uh, to the promised land. Notice the many parallels between the servant of the Lord mentioned in this first song that we read part of this morning and Cyrus. Cyrus is mainly dealt with in chapter 44, verse 26 and following. First of all, both the prophet predicts uh, prior to their birth, uh, the careers of both the servants uh, that isn't explicitly identified here, and also Cyrus. Also, there's a congruence, a coherence between the spirit of both upon uh, upon both of them. Cyrus in 45.1, and then we read here 42.1. They're anointed with the spirit. Both are called by God and receive the same verb of calling in Hebrew, karah. Both are chosen uh, by God, and they receive the same verb, bachar. The Lord's taken both by hand. The servant here, chazak, yad, to grab or grasp by the hand, uh, 42.6 and also 45.1. And who's the beneficiary of the servant's work? Israel, uh, both the servant and uh, Cyrus bring uh, the uh, blessings to Israel. And God enables both and allows them both to succeed with honor. 42.4, 42.49, many other verses. Cyrus 44.28 uh, through 45.5. Um, this coming servant, perhaps you haven't thought about that before, Cyrus as the servant of the Lord, but that's 
um, been a lot of the debate and how he plays into the development of the servant of the Lord. Uh, This coming servant, chapter 42, says in verse 4, which we read, he will bring justice to the land. Simba'aretz mishpat. Now, this is an Akkadian calc, which is a phrase from one language that influences another that's used all over Akkadian, interestingly enough, of kings who at their inauguration bring about social justice and truth in the land. Kitamu misharim yinematim shekanum to establish truth and justice in the land. So no doubt Isaiah in the Hebrew language is influenced by this kind of language. Or as one person has noted, to quote Shalom Paul again, quote, appears in context of acts of social justice ordered by the king following his inauguration. And then interestingly, if we hone in on verse 6, we see that this servant's mission is really twofold. First, the construction, I will give you as a covenant for the people, is actually misconstrued by almost all English language uh, translations. It's a reverse construct. It should be translated, I will give you a people of the covenant. And therefore, the first point is a national one. Promise to the servant upon the successful completion of his work is a people of the covenant. And then he has another mission in the immediately following verses. He will be a light for the nations. You can compare chapter 49.6 here, which one of my colleagues will develop later on. So the second mission of the servant is to be a universal one. Uh, Or to quote again, Shalom Paul, the servant was chosen by God to be a spiritual beacon of light for all people, a role model through which God would spread his holy word, close quote. Now, since we're limited by time, let's see how the New Testament sees the refraction of these servant songs, not just chapter 42, but the other ones, through the mission of the servant, namely Jesus. If you care to look on with me, we'll turn to that famous and familiar passage, which becomes a programmatic sermon for all of Luke's theology. Namely, when Jesus uh, takes the Bema seat at Nazareth and reads in the synagogue, you remember when a scroll of Isaiah is put before him. Now, most, most uh, Lucan people skip right up to this paradigmatic sermon and don't uh, spend enough time on what immediately precedes this. What immediately precedes this? The temptation of Jesus, uh, which is highly significant for his mission in this paradigmatic sermon. It says in verse 16, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found it in the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it is remarkable that when we turn uh, to this passage, Uh, And we see that Jesus says, 
today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But before we do that, let's think back again about the servant of the Lord and Cyrus. Um, because what's important about uh, the servant, at least as Cyrus is being identified, is taking this in context and then looking at how Cyrus is uh, part of the unfolding role, if you will, of the mission of the servant of the Lord. You remember Dr. Clark last week announced uh, or um, exposited chapter 41, where it said that God had announced that Israel would be a military force. If you look back at 41, 15 to 16, you'll see that. And that Judah will wipe out all of her enemies. But the very task uh, that is given to uh, Cyrus is a reassignment of the task that was given to Israel. Listen as one person says. The very task Israel assumed to be uniquely its own, Yahweh has transferred to another agent. The exile confirms the fact that Israel has forfeited its privileged status in Yahweh's plans. It's in the new things that Yahweh is free to choose new agents for his service. So given that the mention of the former things and the new things end with chapter 8, it is clear that Cyrus is inextricably linked to the new things. And for this reason, Cyrus is not a parenthesis in the economy of salvation. The election of Cyrus is an eschatological event. In a real yet incomplete sense, Cyrus's deliverance is the new exodus, the transformation in the wilderness. See, what he's talking about there is, it is almost a consensus now that all the servant songs in Isaiah, especially 40 um, through 55, have to do with the second exodus. Whoever this new Moses is that's coming, whoever this new prophet is that's coming, whoever this royal figure is, and probably all these images ought to be kept alive, he will perform a new exodus that will far outstrip the old exodus. Not merely uh, the passing through the sea, and as a king leading his people as Moses did, uh, the whole host of captives on the dry ground, on the dry shod, uh, while nevertheless desecrating the enemies that pursue them. No, this agent will bring about a greater, more magnificent second exodus. So now we have to ask, well, what is this programmatic sermon uh, signifying to us as Jesus identifies himself as the servant of the Lord and fulfilling these passages? Um, now, of course, you may uh, wonder why I connected this with Isaiah 42 when he actually quotes Isaiah 61. He quotes 42, too, if you look carefully at it. But you're standing on the shore of a Russian cataract. <laughs> and if he quotes Isaiah 61, you're looking and hearing the fountainheads with all their roar in the waterfall, as well as what's downstream in Isaiah 61. It's all connected. It's like a great rushing cataract and you're downstream. The point is, Luke sees that Jesus is fulfilling the servant songs. Even on Isaiah 42, as refracted through Isaiah 61. And you cannot understand Jesus saying, this is my mission today. This has been fulfilled in your midst. Uh, you cannot understand Jesus setting himself forward, nor his mission, as a social justice warrior in light of the quotation of Isaiah. Why do I say that? Because Jesus sees his mission as fulfilling Cyrus's role in a different way to spiritual fulfillment. Now that is not to say that Jesus's message and hence the message of the church 
will not have indirect political consequences for social justice. But let's not get off the main track. In other words, when you look at the servant songs as refracted through Luke 4 and the entire Gospel of Luke in its context, Jesus' mission is about forgiveness of sins. Jesus' mission is about the resurrection and conquering death. Freedom from demon possession, if you read the immediate context. In other words, read from Satan. It's about how Jesus releases the prisoners from the bondage of Satan and the curse and death uh, and uh, put on uh, Adam and his first descendants because of their high-handed sins. It's freedom from sin through his death and resurrection. The passage is ultimately informed by Jubilee. Leviticus 25, which is all about Jubilee, and Daniel 9 are coming into their homecoming here when Jesus gets up and announces what he does uh, here in Isaiah uh, before everybody. So what's the conclusion? What the nation, Judah, was to be and did not do, and Cyrus incompletely fulfilled, there is a new individual, a prophet, a new Moses, who will bring about a completion a messianic prophecy. For those of you to whom this is new, even Calvin himself and his conservative exegesis saw Cyrus, a pagan king, as a type of Christ. Jesus' inauguration of his kingdom brings about a remedy to the greatest injustice ever done. Is he bringing about justice? <laughs> Absolutely. He's ameliorating. <laughs> Weak word. He's solving the problem of the greatest treason with regards to justice that ever happened. Namely, uh, treason against the Heavenly Father by Adam and all his posterity. What Cyrus brought about by the coercion of the sword, Christ will bring about and is bringing about by the coercion of his word. That's the great redemptive historical change. And that is the great eschatological thrust of these entire servant songs as they put pressure on these gospel writers to record what they saw, experienced, and what was revealed to them. Is the servant of the Lord a social justice warrior? No. Maybe Cyrus, but not the ultimate servant of the Lord. Is Jesus, who is the servant of the Lord, a social justice warrior? No. If that is the primary mission of the servant, then it begs a question. Does it not? What is the primary mission of the covenant people whom he has been given? The church. This is the same as always, as Mr. Machen so eloquently said. The responsibility of the church in the new age is the same as its responsibility in every age. It is to testify that this world is lost in sin and that the span of human life, nay, all the length of human history, is an infinitesimal island in the awful depths of eternity. There is a mysterious, holy, living God, creator of all, upholder of all, infinitely beyond all, and that he has revealed himself in his word and offered us communion with himself through Jesus Christ the Lord. And that there is no other salvation for individuals or nations save this. That this salvation is full and free. And that whosoever possesses it has for himself and for all others to whom he may be the instrument of bringing in 
a treasure compared with which all the kingdoms of the earth, nay, all the wonders of the starry heavens, or as the dust of the street. Brothers and sisters, there's much grist for the mill here with regards to motivation for our own studies, our own reflections, our own duties that we have to discharge as we prepare uh, to carry out uh, the great and glorious mission uh, of the servant of the Lord, who ultimately is Jesus, and it's his mission uh, that indeed we ought to be jealous to carry out. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.